0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 49, we're going through the book of Isaiah. If you are a visitor, again, we do warmly welcome you. Uh, I believe we have a couple from Brazil with us. Uh, You are very welcome, wherever you are, somewhere, but you are welcome, and also, of course, there are visitors from elsewhere. And also, um, for our Chinese brothers and sisters, uh, Happy New Year tomorrow. Uh, It's Chinese New Year, and uh, amongst other things, I know that you'll be eating lots of food, but enjoy it. Um, Happy New Year. Isaiah uh, chapter 49. uh, Before we read it, I want to read to you a letter that appeared in a newspaper this week from North Yorkshire. A man wrote this, I was assisting my 16-year-old daughter with her homework when she received a text from her mum. What do you want from life? This was an unexpected and profound question for an exam-sitting teenager. We debated various answers. Wealth, fulfillment, love, all three. Five minutes later, she received a second message blaming predictive text for correcting the word little. Um, (laughs) Which is more like it. What do you want? You're not going to get a text saying, what do you want from life? Well, you might. You never know. You might be very philosophical. Um, What do you want from little? Um, What do we want from life I think most of us in answering that question would talk about our relationships of various kinds friends family and so on but I want to talk uh, this morning about our relationship with God and I want to introduce it in this way we will uh, see what the text has to say about that but I want to suggest to you that our relationship with God talking about it is very difficult because In all our other relationships, there's a kind of mutual dependency. We're creatures and we're weak. And because of that, we can manipulate, we can compel, we can hide, we can abuse. But we cannot do that with God because in all our other relationships, there's a kind of mutual dependency. But God is not dependent on us. He does not need us, and His eyes are too pure to look upon evil. We cannot hide From him. And therefore, it is difficult, I think, for us to conceive of how our relationship with God would be. And I know that some of you are here and you're not yet Christians and you're thinking about it in those terms. What does this mean? I think also, well, let me put it another way there's an old philosophical question, and it's one that's always bothered me because I don't think it can be answered. Can you prove that there are minds other than your own? That's pretty difficult, actually. Because everything we perceive is our perception. And everything in our world is focused around us and how we react to things. It is all about me. How do we prevent that happening in terms of our re- faith in our relationship with God because we make it all about me what I think what I feel what I see what I want what I need so there are some of you today who uh, would say I'd like to be a Christian but I can't really commit myself to God because I need to know more or I need to sort myself out first or I need to have a particular experience or I'm too bad and there are others who think well I am a Christian I know and believe and trust in Jesus but I'm a mess and I'm a bit confused and a bit hurt and a bit wounded I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what is happening and none of this is new this is the very heart of the human problem this is the burden as the bible puts it that God lays upon men how do those who are made in the image of the creator relate to that creator whether today here in dundee or two and a half thousand plus years ago uh this where this prophecy came from contemplating the destruction of jerusalem and the seeming triumph of paganism so let's turn to that um maybe i could ask someone if they put the blinds down for the two upstairs and the two downstairs as well because i think the screen is going to be difficult to see but the words are there will be there up on the screen Could you move on from me, Louise, please? First part, uh, Isaiah 49, verse 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that i am the lord those who hope in me will not be disappointed in terms of relationship to god we need god to speak to us and how we react to that determines that relationship the world if you like here in this passage the world is being given a decision to make god is going to raise a banner Already in Isaiah 11, verse 12, he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. Isaiah five twenty six. he lifts up a banner for the distant nations. He whistles for those at the ends of the earth. Here they come swiftly and speedily. If you've seen any of these kind of medieval war films, it's like there's a battle and it's all great confusion and then suddenly the king's banner is raised and the reason it was raised was not so much propaganda it was for people to gather around come gather to the king and that's the image and the picture that is being used here in all the mess and confusion of war god raises a banner and he calls people from the ends of the earth to that banner now We'll see what that banner is in a moment, but let's look first of all at this idea of sharing with God's blessing, turning to the banner, coming to the banner. What does it mean? Well, as we go through this text, you'll see certain things. See, I will beckon to the nations. And there it's a very simple image. It's God just raising his hand, if you like, and saying, come, come. It's a powerful gesture. He only has to lift up his hand and the situation changes. It's saying that God can turn around any dead-end situation because here he's saying, whereas the kings and the queens, the rulers of this world are persecuting you. He's saying this to his people. I will raise my hand and instead of persecuting you, they will come and they will take care of your children. Um, it 's an image a bit like, imagine if there was somebody imagine if there are people here in this city who absolutely hated the church and who loathed the church and wrote letters in the courier about the church and uh, despised and maybe 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 they picketed outside the church and uh, suggested we might all go to jail or whatever. Imagine that image, and then think about it in this way: These people suddenly turn up. offer to do creche, uh, or offer to come and babysit at the mother's uh, Bible study. Where's that come from? And not even that. Imagine that it's the rulers who are opposed, and suddenly um, Prince Charles comes in and goes through the creche. You think, wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, that's the image that is being used here. And you'll notice I will beckon to the nations, I will lift up my banner to the peoples. You will notice here that Israel is concerned about one situation. Israel is concerned about the Persians, about the Iranians. And God is concerned about the whole world. And He's saying, everyone, the Japanese, the Chinese, the Africans, the Asians, the Europeans, the Scots, the men in blue and the men in white, they're all will come to this banner. Banner. And that's a, a wonderful thing about uh, Christianity. It's the diversity that comes. Diversity is not just a sudden modern invention. It's something that God has, has always sought in terms of His people. Now, he uses this image as well about kings being the foster fathers and the queens and nursing mothers. It's, it is an image that is one of loving inclusion rather than abject submission though this submissive side is included there as well because they bound down before you with their faces to the ground they will lick the dust at your feet in other words they are truly and genuinely saying we are not worthy psalm 72 has this same image psalm 72 the whole of the psalm is about the glorious reign of the messiah and it says about jesus in his days the righteous will flourish prosperity will abound till the moon is no more he will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth the desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust the kings of tarshish and of distant shores will bring tributes to him the kings of sheba and seba will present him gifts all kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him by the way if as we believe The wise men who came to give gifts to the baby Jesus were from Persia, were from Iran, then that would have a particular poignance for the Jewish people who remembered the exile and the persecution. All the kings will bow down to him, the psalm says. All nations will serve him, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in His sight. When God's people experience enormous persecution and trouble, there may be a tendency to turn around and say, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Why is this happening? Why aren't you protecting? Don't you care? And the answer is that God does care, The fact that he hasn't acted to prevent a particular incident does not mean that he doesn't care. Precious is their blood in his sight. And I think that the whole church throughout the whole world, throughout all time, constantly needs to remember that. I think there's a great picture here, by the way, in terms of our uh, political leaders. In the words of Psalm 2, they need to kiss the son. They need to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Kings will be your foster fathers. Queens, your nursing mothers. God provides for His church in many different ways, and it's incredible how it happens. Um, I know a church, uh, well, I'll name it, Kilmally Free Church. I couldn't believe this happened, but they applied to the European Union for funding to build their new building, and they got it. I'm thinking, how did that happen? Why didn't we do that? um apparently there's some rural funds so i think dundee's rural compared with london or beijing or something it's 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 very rural maybe we should have applied as well but it's just the european union giving money for that Well, sometimes you're absolutely amazed at how god provides in different ways and i think it is a it's a wonderful picture of people sharing in the blessing of god's people and this image as well of bowing down before you with their faces to the ground. In the New Testament, I think of this passage in First Corinthians 14:24. If an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you how wonderful that is. What a great image that is. As God's word is being proclaimed, as God's word is being taught, as God's word is being sung, and as God's word is being prayed. Prophecy, in other words. An unbeliever comes in and falls down and says, God is really amongst you. That's what we need to pray for. That's what we need to long for. We don't want people coming in and, and, and saying, oh, it's a really nice church. It was a nice building or uh, nice music or what friendly people. Well, we do want that. We want all of that. But more than anything else, we want someone coming in and they are conscious of the presence of God. That's what it means to share in God's blessing. And they hope. Those who hope in me, will not be disappointed. The word for hope there could just as easily be translated wait, because in the Hebrew, these two words go together. Hope is to wait. Hope is not, I kind of hope things will turn out okay. Hope is not, for example, what Stuart had when uh, he was at Murrayfield yesterday. That was hope. Hope is something that is very, very different. There's a, 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 a trustful expectancy, waiting, knowing that we cannot solve our own problems. Isaiah 40, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That was said to people who were not soaring. That was said to people who were crawling. That was said to people who were not running, but who were just tired and weary. And that was said to people who were not walking, but who had fainted, saying, you wait, you wait, you hope on the Lord. And that's a great image, a great promise for us as believers in Jesus Christ, that by identifying with God, by committing ourselves to Jesus, that we can wait, saying, Lord, why is this happening? What's going on here? What's occurring here? Why all this? But my hope is in the Lord. I wait upon the Lord. So there's a a blessing in terms of our relationship with God. There's a blessing as we come to him, as we come to his banner. But there's also the other side. Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives be rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retrieved from the fierce i will contend with those who contend with you and your children i will save i will make your oppressors eat their own flesh they will be drunk on their own blood as with wine then all mankind will know that i the lord am your savior your redeemer the mighty one of jacob in order for god's people to be delivered they first of all in order to be free, they have to be delivered from their fierce warrior enemies. And the picture that's used here, this plunder taken from warriors, captives rescued from the fierce, the picture where it's talking about contention is of a legal right. It is as much an image of the law court as it is an image of a battlefield. And what's being said here, it's as though the devil or the devil's allies are claiming God's people and saying, they're mine, they're mine, they're mine. But the Lord contends. I will contend with those who contend with you. And the word used there is like a word for a lawyer or an advocate pleading the case. This is not the image of a capricious God who's coming and, and just slaughtering people or, or just a warrior God. It's a picture of a God who acts justly and rightly and fairly. And he sees when his people are being treated unjustly. And he knows, and he will deal with it. To persecute the people of God is to persecute Jesus. Think of the, the story of Saul. Saul who was on his way to Damascus to kill and lock up those who believed in Jesus. Acts 9, 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. How interesting, isn't it? Who are you? And then he calls him Lord. So I think he kind of knew who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Saul could have said, what do you mean? I'm not persecuting you. I haven't done anything to you. But he knew that that was wrong because to attack the Lord's people is to attack the Lord because the Lord so identifies with his people. If you could imagine, imagine that um, your uh, fr- or your father was a particularly powerful person, you know, some kind of warlord or whatever, some mega gangster in Dundee. I'm sure they don't exist, but uh, somebody came to you and they uh, attacked you, and you looked and you said, "Oh boy, you are in so much trouble because you have no idea who my dad is." And if they found out, imagine how they would respond and how they would react. Well, there's a picture here of God's people. We may look weak and at times look pathetic, and people mock us from a position of what they think is strength, but they don't know who our Lord is, and they don't know what they are doing. And this song, this prophecy, this poem is warning what happens when people cut themselves off from the blessing of God by persecuting his people. There is the horror of total defeat. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh. They will be drunk on their own blood as with wine. Now, it's poetry. It's image. But it's an image that is as horrific as it sounds, because what it's saying is this. You will be driven to your last extremity. You will be driven to to the very edge, as far as you can go. It is the image of siege warfare, of of what's happening now in in some places in Syria. And in spiritual terms, it means this, those who oppose the Lord and His people experience the self-destructiveness of sin. There is an evil in this world. There is evil. There is all the consequences of that evil but there's an evil that's, that comes from within, which is self-destructive. Those who flock to the banner of Christ, those who flock to God, experience His blessing in the midst of that evil. Those who turn away, those who choose the other side, if you like, they sow within themselves a self-destructiveness. And that's really the choice that all of us face. That's why, by the way, it's so important what we're doing in terms of teaching the children. We're not trying to indoctrinate children. We're trying to tell them about the good shepherd. We're trying to tell them about the right path so that they, from their very earliest years, will walk in it. We're sowing the seed so that they won't reap destruction to themselves. I think that's important. Um, I know that the SPY group, the, the youth group will be meeting tonight as well, that we pray for that. And we see that because you, you see the seed sown at such an early age brings just such a great deal of good. But when you turn away from the Lord, when you refuse to believe, then what you're doing is you're sowing within yourself a pattern of self-destructiveness which eventually brings you to the very end so in all of that the lord raises a banner let's return to that what is this banner that god raises and i think it's very straightforward in terms of the rest of the scripture and how it's understood the banner is the gospel the banner is the good news of jesus christ the banner is that proclamation preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 3, he's made as competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God's people relying only on the law find within themselves that the law only increases the self-destructiveness of sin. But when the law exposes that self destructiveness, they need to turn to someone who can rescue them and redeem them. And that is, of course, the Redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob, the Savior, as the last verse says. It's a fantastic picture, fantastic thing for us to have. And it's a stark choice in terms of our relationship with God. There's, there's no kind of in-between. It is. The Bible uses the image of a marriage and of a wedding uh, for our relationship with God with good, good reason. But one particular reason, I think, is this. When you're standing here and I or somebody else, I'm conducting the ceremony, and I ask, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Or I ask, do you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? You've only got two options. Hopefully, you've only got one, but you've, where it's going to be a very interesting wedding. I've never done a wedding where they've said, no, nah, I don't think so, uh, no, but yes or no. What you don't have is, yeah, I'll try it for a wee while, and we'll see how we get on. Or, I don't know, maybe I will. And then they turn around to the the congregation and say, what do you think? Will I take her or will I take him? Mm -hmm. Or, hang on a minute, let me consult my horoscope. Or, let me check this, let me look at that. No, you've got a choice. It's yes or no. And when you say yes or no, what you're not saying is, yes, I'm going to because I absolutely know that this is the person for me and for the rest of our life we will live in total happiness and bliss. No, that's not what you're saying because you don't know that what you're saying is, I know enough that I'm willing to commit myself, absolutely, totally, not half-heartedly to this person. And when we hear about God, when we hear about Jesus, when we're told that there's a banner and we're asked, are you come? Come. You beckoned to come. You don't have the option of going, hmm, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe I won't. You either come or you don't. You're either on Christ's side or you're opposed to Christ. But that's where we came in, where you say, well, wait a minute. I, I'm, I'm not in that position. I need to know this. I need to know this. I need... I'm saying, well, actually, you are in that position because Christ is calling you. And you respond. You respond. Now, what I find especially wonderful in this is when I think of a banner, I don't know if you were again, if you're at Murrayfield yesterday, the Scottish banner, you know, the lion rampart and all that kind of stuff. Um, Sometimes with the Scottish rugby team, one fears that the wee lamb might be better. Uh, But, you know, you've got all these banners and you've got, you know, the, the English banner and the bulldog and all that kind of stuff. Um, and whatever the Irish have, I don't know, leprechaun or something. Um, But, you know, the the banners do tend to be kind of warrior-like. What? This banner. I I love the imagery from the Song of Solomon about this banner. We're saying uh, an old song. Um, His banner over me is love. He beckons me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. And uh, if you grew up in the kind of Sunday school I grew up in, you all know the the actions that you do and the the words and so on. But, But it's beautiful. He beckons me to his banqueting table, and his banner over me is love. See, here's where the relationship comes in, and that's why I began talking about relationship. Because we relate to God not because we are like him not because we understand Him, not because He needs us, not because we have anything to offer Him, but because, as I was trying to tell the children, He is absolute, pure love. And that's what we need. Why do we regard relationships as being so important? Because we're lonely. Because we were made not to be lonely. We were made to be in relationship. And yet in this world our relationships get so messed up and so screwed up they they vary so much they are at one minute absolutely wonderful and then the next minute we're saying what what's going on and they cause us so much pain but also so much joy but here it's to me these are just all reflective of the greatest and the purest relationship our relationship with god we were made by our creator for our creator it's in him that we live and move and have our being we relate through this purest and greatest love sometimes you see within a marriage or within a within a relationship somebody who has a deep and intense love for the other person and it causes the other person to respond in love and it's, it can be an extraordinarily beautiful thing. Well, that's what's going on here in our relationship with God. It's not that, that we work up some kind of love for God. We say, if only I can just love God a little bit more. You know, there's a commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and so on. Because we just can't do that. But once we understand who God is, that He is love and what He has done, then in in the words of Paul to the Romans, we love Him because He first loved us. Our love is a responsive love. It's not a love that comes from our own goodness or from our own love of the good or from our own desires for purity or anything like that. Our love is a responsive love because as as God reveals Himself to us in love, we love him back. And that's why you can never tire of hearing of the love of God if you understand what the love of God is. That's why Paul, you know, Christians and people use these phrases all the time and use them so tritely. And to me, this is really holy ground. And it's like when, pe- when the love of God is spoken of tritely, it's like speaking of the wrath of God tritely. As a joke, almost. To me, when Paul says to the Ephesians, I pray that you would know the height, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. That you would know this love. He's asking for the most profound thing for us. It's not we love him, but we love him because he first loved us. He beckons us to his banqueting table, and his banner over us is love. And I know that there are Christians here who you believe in Jesus and you trust in Jesus, but you don't feel that the banner is love. You feel the banner is wrath. You feel the banner is judgment. You, feel, you don't feel there's a banner at all, perhaps. There's just no hope. There's just despair. And you need to lift your eyes beyond your own troubles and your own feelings and your own heart and your own circumstances. And you need to see that the king is standing there with his banner. And it's love. And it's extraordinary. And it is beautiful. When I uh, started, I said that what do you want from life? Do you know, that's not the Christian question at all. That's not what the Bible asks. What do you want from life? I guess we could all give many, many different answers. The biblical question is much more profound, much deeper. The biblical question is, do you want life at all? Do you want life? Jesus says, I have come that they might have life And have it more abundantly. There must be more to life than this. We sometimes feel and think. And God says, you've got that one right. That is correct. There is much more to life than this. You have no idea. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I sometimes think the devil defeats us by causing us always to focus on the storms, always to focus on the winds and the waves, and not to see the sun that lies beyond. Well, all mankind will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. People will look at God's people and not say, you are a great people, but they will say, you have a great Savior. And you know, there are many people who will fall down and worship, and there are many people who will say, can I have him too? And Christ says yes. Yes, of course. That's why if you're not a Christian, I ask you to think and pray earnestly and seek Christ as he's seeking you and to respond to him. And if you are a Christian, whatever your circumstances, good or bad, I ask you just to contemplate and to think more about the love of God and the love of Christ. I don't know how many times I've read Romans 8, just, I mean, I do, I know it off by heart just because I've read it so much, not even because I've memorized it. And uh, this week I was thinking about something and I wasn't very encouraged and I read Romans 8, and it was just like reading it completely afresh again. Just how will God, having given us Christ, not also with Him, graciously give us all things? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You go out here You may not be going out here marching down the street with your banners, you're not in the Salvation Army or whatever, but you should be going out in your spirit and in your heart, walking out in absolute triumph, knowing that his banner goes before you. May God bless his word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Encourage us through it. Enable us to know your presence. We pray for any here who do not know you, that as your banner is lifted as your gospel is proclaimed that they would turn to you and we pray O lord our god for those of us who are your people who follow you but we're not soaring like eagles we're not running we're not even walking we're wearied we're beat up we're tired lord help us to lift our eyes beyond ourselves and beyond our circumstances and to see above the gloom, the clear blue skies, the great banner of the love and grace and mercy and peace of our almighty triune God. In your name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLUS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solus-cpc.org.